You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. We're speaking with Charlie Houston. His new novel is The Shotgun Rule. Thank you for joining me, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be back. Charlie, I, this, I think, is your finest novel, and a novel that should be taught in schools. Uh, ooh, wow. Uh, <laughs> the word fine is a little intimidating, but I think it's my best novel so far. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, taught in schools, that's a, that's a load to carry. Before we went on the air, we were talking about I'd, re- I'd received an email from a teacher in Florida who uh, is in the class that, he's, that he teaches is a, is a uh, remedial English class where he's, I believe, was the situation where he's trying to anything that he can find to encourage kids to read. And um, so he was uh, making available to them uh, the, the Hank Thompson trilogy and I think even some of the Joe Pitt books, which are just horribly violent and vulgar. And he told me that... Um, he was able to do it, but uh, parents have to sign waivers <laughs> to uh, to say that it's cool for their kids to to read my book. So, which I actually kind of like. <laughs> well, yes, I, I I can see why. I, as I was thinking, I was thinking my sister-in-law teaches English, and she gets a lot of mileage out of teaching Chuck Palahniuk. And I and I was thinking that this the shotgun rule has is so vivid and so enjoyable on so many levels, yet also so literary, that it would be a great book. But, I mean, how are you going to get a book into the classroom in which I think it's, is it chapter three titled, Regarding Your Mother's Pussy? <laughs> That's got to be a problem. <laughs> you know, I didn't even think about the chat. Again, I, I keep, it's, you'd, you'd think by now that I would know better than to load the gun and point it at my own foot and then tr- pull the trigger. Uh, I, I keep doing these things, just, you know, basic, basically challenging <laughs> Giving every people every possible excuse to <laughs> turn off to the books or to or to not want to uh, to uh, have them in the marketplace. I I realized only when I was doing my first reading uh, to promote the book these last few weeks, and I, I had the pages I had printed out, and I looked down and it said Chapter One, Piece of Shit Bike. <laughs> I thought, what? Why am I leading with with a with a with an obscenity just coming out the gate with that for anybody who picks up the book to. To read a couple lines to see if they might like it. I got a chat or chapter heading in the right front, and yeah, and then you you flip down a few and you get to regarding your mother's pussy, and it's pretty much anybody who's going to be offended is out already without even having a shot at them. Which uh, would be too bad because what I really liked about this book is it preserves all your usual trademarks of that we enjoy so much: your ability to sling blue language like nobody out there, your ability to create scenes of horrific violence. You ratchet back just a little bit to keep everything firmly believable. And what's so wonderful is that everything seems so real. You really like these kids. Well, thanks, man. I, there was, you know, there was a definitely a conscious effort, not not so much to ratchet back the violence, but to to try and make it um, to try and eliminate any any kind of cathartic qualities from it. I think this is stuff that you and I have discussed before that, you know, I, I want the violence to count even in the vampire books and to try and 
you know, have to make when I'm portraying the violence for it to try and show that it has an impact on the characters who are doing it, and uh, not just to the characters who it's being done to. Um, or if it's not having an impact on the characters who are who are doing it to have that say something about who they are and, and where they've arrived at. And with these books, because because you know they are teenage boys, and while they're you know rough and tumble and and they're fighters, they get exposed to a level of violence that is completely beyond their their experience. And I wanted to have them shift from that kind of teenage bravado. Um, Stage that you see early on, where they, you know, they really come across as tough guys, to when they get in over their heads, to have it have have it affect them in a way, not just in terms of the blood that's drawn, but in terms of how it affects them emotionally and the kind of fear it creates and how their personalities change once they realize the way this, the the stakes are. To have that come across um, in a more grounded way than I, I maybe you know always do in the other books. So that was something I, I was I was really trying to get after, and then. This is, I would, it would be a, 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 a huge stretch to say that this book is autobiographical in any way, but it certainly has more links to my life than any of the previous books do. You know, having been a teenage boy in the early 1980s in a Bay Area suburb, it's, you know, I've got some life experience there, and uh, certainly the, the the kids in the in the in the group of protagonists in this are all very loosely drawn composites of, you know, different different people that I knew and personality traits that come drifting in and out of there and so that made it um, that made it easier and also most more compelling when I was creating the characters and or interpreting the characters and then putting the words into their mouths. One thing I loved about this is that this is one of the few books I, I've almost ever read that focuses strictly on the lower middle class, you know, the kind of what we might disparagingly call white trash and, and really evokes the souls and the lives of these people in, in a sympathetic manner, even when the characters themselves aren't really sympathetic. Yeah, which wasn't something that I necessarily consciously thought about. You know, a lot, like I say, a lot of these folks are, are drawn on people that I've known in my life. And in, in many cases, some of the, some of these, some of these are some of the, the, the people who got worked into these characters are folks that I still have, you know, relationships with and I still uh, you know occasionally go through that town that I grew up in to me these are just people and they're just they're they're kinds of people that uh, I was raised around and I don't think I don't think by any stretch any of us that are thought of ourselves in terms of, of being lower middle class if you know or, or in terms of class at all for the most part you know it's just kind of a, a, a suburban uh, upbringing and Everybody's family, you know, everybody everybody worked, everybody had a job, and busted down neighborhoods weren't unusual. And, you know, it was just your life. I really liked the way that you uh, evoked, uh, you started the novel set firmly in the present, with events set firmly in the present, and then as the novel progresses, we reach further and further into the past and find that the apple don't fall so far from the tree. Yeah, and, you know, that was something that... that that evolved. That wasn't. Uh, that was not. Considering now, it's really the spine of the book. It's. 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 Sometimes I have to remind myself that I didn't plan that. Initially, in my first approach, the the idea I was talking about before about making the violence very non-cathartic and not really giving any, the, the reader any relief was the thing that was most prominent in my mind. And the first draft that I wrote of this, the 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 world 
of the book was had even less of a moral center and even even fewer shades of black and white. It was very, very gray. And uh, whereas in the, the final draft, the draft as published, the you come to find out that the, some of the parents of the of the boys have uh, have pasts that are now influencing and uh, the uh, trouble that the boys are are in. In the in the previous draft, that wasn't the case at all. The the parents kind of were almost like impotent gods, if not to wax too <laughs> <laughs> poetical or literary or anything. Uh, but that was kind of the thing. They were these you know beings that were above what the kids were doing, and uh, but were really exerting no influence over it whatsoever. They were just kind of being knocked about by circumstance as much as the kids. And uh, the final scene in that book. Uh, was intentionally very disturbing and left very left uh, very, uh, not that the ascending is tremendously upbeat and hopeful, but that one was even less so. And um, it was it was I, I, I was I was I, perhaps a little too successful in my goal because <laughs> I, I alienated just about everybody who read that draft. Um, and uh, the the. The feeling was, and what I had a lot of conversations with people about on that draft was that it was um, that there was nothing to hold on to, and it was uh, it was asking a little too much of the reader, maybe. So, a suggestion that came up from my editor was to try and um, it was a it was a very traditional and very straightforward kind of uh, thriller twist to build into it. And while I didn't agree with that idea, it set off a chain of thought in me about a way to 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 uh to knit things a little bit t- tighter in terms of plot and um and i found out once once my brain kind of going down that road that road i got very excited about it and what that ended up being was this secondary spine through the book where you you follow the kids and then as you follow the kids you find out that so many of the events they're involved in are really anchored into things that happened 20 years ago uh, when their uh, when their parents were different people than they are now, when some of the parents were different people than they are now, um, but it was it was really it was not uh, it was not something I set out to do. It was something that kind of happened, and then in the end, I was really delighted that we had kind of stumbled across that 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 potential in the book that I hadn't even realized was there. I really love the way you evoke the inner lives of the four boys, uh, Paul with his migraines. Andy with these kind of visions, particularly Andy, who's a, 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 a really fascinating character. Could you talk about creating those characters? Yeah, some of those things were um, some, some things that we knew that I that I knew. Uh, the uh, I've I knew I you know the, I wanted initially I thought I hadn't made Andy uh, the hyper little genius that he is originally. He was very much just like the other the other boys, the older boys, but he was just kind of geekier and um, but without being any kind of a savant. Um, and then, as I was refining the characters in the second draft, I found that I'd given him too many quirks. He had um, a little uh, figurine talisman that he carried around, and he liked Dungeons and Dragons, and he had this weird mysterious ability to hide and there were just too many too many things and so they needed to be kind of refined and linked together and and given focus 
And um, it ended up that it, while I felt initially that it was a little bit of a cliche to make the younger, you know, geekier character also to be um, uh, a super genius who's been skipped several grades, it ended up being a way to hone the character and, um, and hang everything else kind of on that quality. Uh, at the same time, he has these very disturbing visions of violence that, that scare him because he doesn't know where they come from and they feel that, that uh, they're somehow abnormal. His, uh, his brother George is the most straightforward of the, of the four boys. And more than anything with him, I wanted, you know, I just wanted him to be kind of the, um, the, the guy that from the exterior everybody thinks has it all together. You know, he's the good-looking one, the one who's very naturally athletic and a natural leader and, and, and fit and able. And on the inside, he's got a tremendous amount of, of insecurity and all kinds of questions about what his life is going to be like and is, is he going to have the same life that is... Uh, hardworking father does, or is he going to be able to be his own man in a different way? And then uh, Hector is a small-town uh, uh, Mexican-American punk rocker uh, in the early 1980s, which, you know, is not an easy thing to be. Not easy. I, a couple of my friends had, during that time were punkers. and That's a really fun character, too. <laughs> Hector was a lot of fun to write. He was the one that was by far the furthest from my personal experience. You know, I grew up in a small town uh, in, in, in Livermore, in an, uh, an agricultural town, so there were definitely uh, a large Mexican-American or Chicano, pick your, pick your terminology, uh, uh, population. But it was, you know, the social structure was a lot like it was in the book. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of mixing. Um, I only had a couple Chicano friends, and most of them and were when I was younger and then got older, and everybody kind of started splitting off into their cliques. Um, so kind of getting inside his world and, and his, the way that he's of the, the four boys but very separate in his own way because of the, of the racial divide and because while they're all you know, into rock and roll and metal, he's got this thing where he's going down a different path with the, the punk rock, and you can see where it's starting to peel him away a little bit. Um, but I love his heart. My wife's favorite scene in the book, there's a scene where Hector is listening to suicidal tendencies in his bedroom and his, his little sister comes in and he starts pogoing with his little sister. I, that was a scene I really liked reading, writing and I, I kind of made me happy that it was my wife's favorite. It's one of the few scenes where nothing horrible happens. And then uh, Paul is uh, um, one of the older boys. He is uh, uh, just a, a bundle of violence and raw nerves and anger and uh, suffers from migraines and uh, all of this as it as the, as the story evolves um, you know if he, at the beginning he's drawn in a way that it's easy to just think he's the biggest dick in the world and to hate him and as it as the book goes along it evolves that there is there are reasons for this and as I've said elsewhere and, and, and perhaps to you as well I, I'm you know one of my foundations of, of my belief system about the world is I think that there are reasons for why people are the way they are and specifically why people do shitty things um, and it evolves that in, in the plot that there's a reason why Paul where there's a source for this anger and there's a source for this for this violence and that was also a very difficult part to, to write because it was stuff that I don't have a history with. And when you're thinking about um, topics, topics like, uh, uh, like child abuse or in, an, in, in, one, in the first Joe Pitt book, I, I uh, had a character who was um, 
potential was in in danger of being sexually abused by her father, and there was a near rape or a scene that for, it really was rape, as far as I'm concerned. Even though the sexual act was never, or the the, the act of violent sex was never perpetrated, um, I have a little trouble writing about those things because they're not coming from a place of personal experience, and and you put them on the page, and there's just the danger that you're drifting into exploitation. So, in the same way that writing in a different well, writing Hector was different because there were so many cultural things that I was just ignorant of. Writing about a character who has a, a history of abuse is it's also difficult because there's no... You want it to be honest and you want it to be emotionally honest, but you're faking it. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to make it up so you don't know where you might be crossing the line into melodrama. Um, so that was, that was kind of dicey writing. Uh, uh, Working those parts in and not trying to not let it get over over the over some I don't know self created line I don't know what that is I'm rambling a little bit at this point Rick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I do want to bring up one thing that you create in this in this novel uh, uh, a, a couple of you know bad guys I guess we'll call them and, and yet I, I like them and, and you come to respect all of them which is a really it's a it's a great way to keep you involved. Um, yeah, the, the, well, the, the early in the book, the, the primary foils who are you know sold as as badasses and bad guys are the Arroyo brothers, and um, but again, I didn't want them to be uh, two dimensional. In an earlier draft, there were more brothers, and they I think they they lacked dimension. When we when I trimmed a couple out, and I was able to get them to focus more on their relationships as brothers. They've all been thrown out of their home at, at various points in their lives. They've, they've, so they've all congregated together because their parents have, have tossed them out because they're, you know, crappy kids uh, for a reason again. And so I wanted their, their, there to be a real love and closeness between the three of them, even as they are constantly fighting each other, um, so that there's, you know, something underlying that they each have moments. The You know, the big... The big bad guy in the book is a character uh, named Geezer, and he's the one who has, he's the character who has the least humanity in him, but there are still, you know, he's, he's one of the more entertaining ones to write dialogue for because he's got a, he's, a, he's kind of a, 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 a Sydney Greenstreet kind of uh, loquaciousness to him without the, without the vocabulary. Um, and uh, there's something, you know, there's, but there's ultimately something kind of sad and pathetic in him at the same time that he's just a horrible, horrible, horrible human being. And I always, you know, there's, again, part of, part of wanting to, to, to write this book was wanting to try and um, not go completely genre convention as, as strongly as the other books do and, and uh Open up characters like these a little bit more. So it's my, it's my, you know, it's 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 gratifying to have somebody say that they think these characters have some humanity. Thank you. It, it's they really do, and I have to ask you: Has this been optioned for a movie yet? It seems no, like... no, it hasn't, and I don't know that it's. I don't know that there will be uh, any rush to do so. I think that um, I think that while caught stealing because it's basically a chase book uh, and the Joe Pitt stories because they're you know. They're, you know, vampire stories, which <laughs> for which Hollywood seems to have no end of appetite. 
uh, I think that it's fairly easy to look at those books and to kind of see the the, the movies that are you know in, in in kernel form in those. I think with this one that um, from the Hollywood point of view that it's a little it's a little tougher that while while the book may uh, you know may work at, on on its on a page turner level, I think it's hard to see how you translate this kind of violence into an entertainment. And also, I think it's hard to see how you uh, build a, a movie around four teenage boys as as protagonists. Um, so I don't I don't know. I'm well. I'm 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 curious to hear what if anybody has anything. Uh, um, smart to say about it. Um, I've, I'm, I, I will admit that while in the past I've always been uh, detached from from the idea of selling the, the film rights to my work, I've always been very much in the mind that I'm happy to sell those rights and make some money off of them and without any particular regard about what is done, what's done with those rights and how they're executed. Um, ideally, you always want something, somebody to do something good with them, but really not 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 terribly concerned. With this one, um, I have to admit that if somebody expresses an interest, I'd, I'd be more um, more liable to want to have a conversation with them and hear what their specific ideas are and what their approach would be. It's, I'm, I'm a little more attached to this one right now. We've been speaking with Charlie Houston. His new novel is The Shotgun Rule. Thank you for speaking with me, Charlie. It's a pleasure, always. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.